Well, good morning. Uh, it's again a privilege to open God's Word for us today. A few years ago, I was standing beside my mother in the hospital, beside the bed of her husband who was near death. And at one point, my mother turned to me and said, how do we move forward from here? How do we go back to what we had before? And uh, I said, Mom, we don't go back. We have to move forward. We uh, have to find the new normal from here. And we did with her, and it's been difficult, I won't lie. Situations brought about by life-altering circumstances um, force us to find a new normal. Things like aging, like chronic illness, cancer, uh, death, um, broken relationships, divorce and remarriage, loss of job, change of location, all of those things force us to find a new way of, of living, a new normal to do uh, life as we had been. And of course, there's the pandemic. That's one message that's been reinforced to me many times over the past several weeks in particular. The pandemic will be with us for a long time. It's not going away anytime soon. There's no end in sight. Where if there is, it's only one form of the virus being replaced by some kind of mutation or new strain. We're over three weeks into 2021, and the reality is it feels a lot like 2020. The comedian Jim Gaffigan said it well. If the year 2020 were a song, it would be Hotel California by the Eagles because, as the song says, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. That's how it feels, right? Now let me bring you back from that extended guitar solo that follows that line in the song. Come back to our message for today. Most of us are trying to navigate a new normal that will work for the foreseeable future. It feels like there will be no end to restrictions or loss and separation, economic changes, social consequences, all of those things, and it can be really discouraging. So what's our new normal supposed to look like as Christians? How do we navigate this difficult season when there seems to be no end in sight? Well, I think we find some help in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 29. I invite you to turn there or find it in your Bible app. Jeremiah sent a letter to a group of his fellow Israelites who were in exile, and I believe today we can find some encouragement from the Lord's counsel to them through Jeremiah. So let's read together from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 14. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother and the court officials and princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elassah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, had sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts to the, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands. That they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. 
For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of gathering together before your word. Do please speak to our hearts now. Help us to take in what you have for us. Find the new normal, the journey, the walk faithfully in the path of the race that you have set out before us, please. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we begin, we need to understand clearly the timeline of, of Scripture, especially as it relates to this passage. So indulge me with a few numbers. Uh, the year 627 B.C., Jeremiah was called to his prophetic ministry. This went on for about 40 years. About five years after this, in the year 622 B.C., the book of the law that had been lost was found in the temple, and this led to a great spiritual awakening in Israel. About 14 years after this, in the year 608 B.C., while Jehoiakim was king of Israel, uh, the first Israelites were taken away to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this, <clears throat> this group would include Daniel and his friends. Um, about 11 years later, uh, in the year 597 B.C., King Jehoiakim and others, this would include Ezekiel, were taken to Babylon. Uh, in the year 586, Jerusalem was conquered and Jeremiah's ministry ended the same year. So bef between 597 and 586, that 11-year period, at some point in there, Jeremiah sent this letter to the exiles who had been taken with King Jehoiakim into Babylon. And then years later, the year 538 B.C., the Jewish people began to return to Jerusalem. This was 70 years after the first group had been taken. So as we think about Jeremiah, we understand that Jeremiah was someone who understood what it meant to live faithfully during years of difficulty and challenge. He prophesied for over 40 years. Most of that time here experienced rejection and persecution and opposition. Jeremiah was beaten. He was thrown into stocks, thrown into jail, even thrown into a well. He warned Israel that because of their rebellion, the nation of Israel would fall to Babylon and would be taken away into exile. And at first, Jeremiah's message was a call to repentance. And if Israel had repented, the story likely would have ended very differently. But Israel did not repent. So Jeremiah then began to warn them that, in fact, there would be no deliverance, and their only hope now was to surrender to the king of Babylon. We can imagine just how popular it was for a prophet of God to say to the nation of Israel that their only hope was to surrender to a pagan king. <clears throat> we can understand also why the false prophets were so popular, because they were predicting a miraculous deliverance, which Jeremiah said is not going to happen. It's also interesting Sort of a side note that Jeremiah sent his letter with two men, Elasa the son of Shaphan and Gemariah the son of Hilkiah. We encounter the fathers, Hilkiah and Shaphan, in 2 Kings 22 when the book of the law that had been lost, lost to memory, just gone, um, was found as they were doing some renovation reconstruction in the temple. Hilkiah is the one who found the book. Hilkiah brought it to Shaphan. Shaphan took it to good king Josiah and read it to him. King Josiah's heart was broken as he heard the contents of the book, of the law. And that led to a great spiritual awakening in Israel, and, and, and judgment was, in effect, postponed for 
some years because of grace and mercy of God. So it's likely that when Jeremiah had written this letter, he knew he needed a trusted courier because his messages were not popular. So he looked to Hilkiah and Shaphan as someone he could trust, and they enlisted their sons as part of this. That's likely what happened. Interesting. As we look to Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, perhaps the most striking thing in this is in verse 7. Even though these people were exiled for their rebellion, the Lord has sent them to Babylon with a purpose. He says in verse 7, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Even in exile, they are still God's people and they are still on mission. It's, it's really amazing. We see Israel's original purpose in Exodus chapter 19, their original mission. He says in verse 5 and 6 of Exodus 19, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel's original purpose was to point the nations to the Lord through their worship of him, through their obedience to him. Uh, when they lived in their land, they had their tabernacle or their temple, they had their sacrificial system, they had their laws, and, and all of this seemed to just govern every moment of their lives. But now in exile, they, they don't have any of these things. There's no temple, there's no sacrifices, they're not governed by the same laws, everything's different. They were in a place where they didn't belong and may not have even been welcome. They had no status, they probably didn't know the customs, probably didn't know the language. I think we can identify with some of the challenges that they faced. Their mission hadn't changed, but how they carried it out, how they would carry it out would look a lot different in exile. And the Lord keeps it simple for them, and that's what we see in the rest of this passage. He gives them five things to do. Five things to focus on. These things are good for us as well. They help us, I think, have some, some foundations for, for new normal, for how we are to live in the pandemic. The first thing he tells them is to provide for the necessities of life, the shelter, food, and family. He says in verses 5 and 6, uh, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, become fathers of sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not, do not decrease. Don't live in fear. Don't live, believe the false prophets and think we don't need to establish families now. He says multiply, settle down. Even though the houses will be different, the produce will be different, family interaction, weddings, all of those things are going to be different, still do those things, establish those things, keep that stability going. You need that. We, we observe from this that the Lord is preparing them for a longer exile, 70 years in fact. We also observe that the Lord cares about these things that He knows our lives depend on. He, he cares about those things because, because we need them. And we also see that the Lord gave to them, and He gives us some responsibility in establishing these things. So as we think about living longer in the pandemic, we also have to give attention to these things. It's a bit different, of course. We're not building houses. We're not planting gardens. Most of us aren't. Most of those things are available to us where we live. I don't know if uh, you have Walt where you live or not, but you know we live in the center. It's amazing. Well. Nice free shout out to, to Walt, I guess. Um, so shelter and food are available to us, but the critical piece for you may be even having the funds to be able to afford rent, to be able to afford to buy food. And, and I understand that's a critical deal. It's a, 
It's a real and legitimate need, and that may force you into some other decisions, and that's something to navigate between you and the Lord. The Lord gives us the, both the responsibility and the freedom to make those determinations before Him. In our context, it's also important for the church to be the body of Christ. I'm grateful to say that last year ICP was able to give around 67,000, I'm sorry, 60,000 crowns, 67,000 crowns uh, in assistance to people who were in crisis last year. I'm grateful for those of you who gave consistently that allowed ICP to be able to do that. So if you find yourself in a crisis, do please reach out to the church. We can't always help, but if we can, we desire to. We desire to be the body of Christ. The second thing he tells them is to be shalom seekers. This will be clear in a moment, but the, the next thing mentioned is that they were to, to seek the welfare of the place where the Lord had put them. The word translated welfare, or in the NIV is translated peace and prosperity. It means peace or prosperity, health, wholeness, fullness, fulfillment, completeness. It's the idea of human flourishing in every way. Notice that he didn't say they were to bring all the specific laws that they had had in the land they had just left. They weren't to set up a sacrificial system. They weren't to build a temple. Those things might have given them a sense of comfort, but those things were not part of the mission at this point. Things are different. What they were to do is to simply have a kingdom mindset and look for ways to bring, bring shalom. That's a great challenge for us to simply look for ways to contribute to Shalom, to peace, to welfare, to flourishing, to wholeness. And make no mistake, our world is broken, relationships are broken, societies are broken, economies are broken. We are broken. I mean, everything around us is broken. And the world needs shalom. The world needs peace and wholeness. And, and they need these things. They hunger for these things. And we are here as agents of, of shalom. We are to seek ways to do that. But we have to think about it on a smaller level. Otherwise, we're paralyzed by the size of the task. That is, I don't think we're supposed to think as we wake up in the morning, okay, how can I fix Prague today? But perhaps bring it closer in. How can I help my neighbor today? How can I communicate hope to someone who is in need? Who around me is in need? Where do I see brokenness? How can I bring the presence of Jesus into some situation today? You may think, but I'm a nobody here. I can't do anything. Well, so were the exiles. They had no status. They had, they had nothing. And yet God put some of them, through no effort of their own, into positions of great influence in Babylon. Look at, at Daniel. And you never know what a single interaction might mean in someone's life and what effect their life and what impact their life may have in return. I recall preaching a sermon over 30 years ago, and some of the feedback I got later was was, eh, frankly, <laughs> kind of negative. And I took that, received it, and didn't think too much about it after that. About 15 years later, I was talking with a guy who had been in that church. and He said, hey, do you remember that sermon you preached that day? And I said, yeah. <laughs> I remembered it because of the negative feedback I got. He said, that sermon changed my life. And I had no idea. He went on to be, a, this, this guy went on to be a missionary in the Middle East. He's actually now pastor of that same church where I preached that bad sermon. I guess he's doing a better job than I did. Um, you never know what the Lord will do, but it will be greater and later than we expect. I do think I, I told the Lord it would be okay not to make me wait 15 years before I heard something positive, but that's, an, that's another story. Of course, we can't bring shalom if we don't have it. That is, we need to be daily seeking 
these things from Jesus himself as we interact and take them out into the world with us. Third thing he tells us to do is to be intercessors. He tells them to intercede for their city. He says, pray to the Lord on its behalf. So this is also in verse 7. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. So as we encounter brokenness, we pray. We pray because we lack wisdom to know how to bring about shalom. We pray because we may only see a symptom, but the Lord sees it all. We pray because we may have no status and our, our efforts may be uh, misunderstood, if not misguided. Um, I'm part of a wave of missionaries who came to Eastern Europe post in the early 90s, post-communism. And as Americans coming in, we made a lot of mistakes. We did. And uh, thankfully, we've learned from those and still have relationships and finding a new normal um, in, this, in this journey together. But we pray. We pray mostly because the Lord wants us to pray. He hears us and he answers us. Did you know there's been a prayer meeting at 7 o'clock each morning for the city of Prague? A group of Czech people gather and pray for the city. Karen and I were attending this before the pandemic hit. We went just one day a week. We're not as dedicated. I'll confess we've not been back since the pandemic has been in full force. Uh, we'd like to go back. And if one of you listening knows if they are still meeting with the pandemic going on, if you'd let the church office know, maybe we can put that in the newsletter and let people know and be a part of it. Fourth thing he tells us to do is to tune out the false prophets or the false messages. Jeremiah contended with false prophets in Israel, but there were false prophets also among the exiles. They claimed to be speaking God's word, but God had not sent them. Their prophecies encouraged people to engage in idolatry or expect a quick and miraculous end to the exile. Jeremiah tells the people, don't let these prophets deceive you. Don't listen to them. He says, <clears throat> verses 8 and 9, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Don't let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams which they dream. They prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So we have our share of false prophets in our day as well. The prosperity gospel comes to us and offers us control if only we have enough faith. But it's, it's an illusion. Still others... We put our focus on what the government can do, as if the government is going to be our savior. And then there's still others who distract us with conspiracy theories to save us from the government. And then we have, uh, in our day, what's called progressive Christianity, which denies the core teachings of the faith, the faith and allows someone to engage in pretty much any form of sexual debauchery and still maintain the label Christian. Friends, don't be deceived by these things. We cannot allow ourselves to be carried away by false teaching. Yet as we interact with people who are involved in these things, we have to interact graciously and biblically. It may be time to take a break from social media. I've, I've been uh, drawn into that vortex a few times, especially with events in my own country, and I have friends on both sides of things that are happening, and um, it's, it's negative and it's powerful and it's largely false. Um, I am amused when someone gets on Facebook to say I'm gonna take a break from Facebook as if we care. <laughs> just just get off Facebook. Nobody cares. Nobody cares whether you're there or not. So I'm done with that rant. I'll come back to Jeremiah now. Now the fifth thing he tells them to do is to trust God's word and his larger purpose. The Lord promised, in verses 10 to 14, he says this, Thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed 
for Babylon, I will visit you, I'll fulfill my good word to you, I'll bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. You'll call on me, you'll come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I'll restore your fortunes, gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. So the Lord promised that the exile would last 70 years. And 70 years from the time that first group was taken, the Jews were allowed to begin to return to their land. We see in this, like in verse 11, that God had a plan and a purpose in this exile. And that that plan and purpose actually went far beyond simply punishing Israel for their rebellion, sending them away, and bringing them back. It was actually for their shalom and for our own. That's what he says when he says, my plans for you are for your welfare, to give you a future and a hope. That is where he's taking us. And, and all of these hardships we experience are a necessary part of that journey. Sometimes uh, the question comes up in times of difficulty, did God ordain this misfortune? Did God ordain this, this bad thing that's happened? And we understand that God is always in control of everything. I find it more helpful to say what God has ordained is a larger or greater end. He's ordained this shalom. All of these things are necessary parts of that journey, but God's not deriving sadistic pleasure from our misfortune. But he does have a purpose in raising up these things, allowing things to happen, being behind some things that he is not embarrassed at all to take responsibility for. But it is all to lead us to a good place. And it helps take the, some of the, the bitterness out of some of the things that happen to us to know that God is in complete control and he has a purpose, a larger purpose that is good. So think with me about a couple of things that happened because Israel went into exile that was, that was not directly related to them simply leaving and returning to their land. So because Israel was in exile, remember they had no temple, no sacrifice, no laws, the synagogue became the focal point of their spiritual life, of their, of their worship and their faith. This led to many, many communities in the known world having, or many, many cities in the known world having communities of God worshipers whose worldview had been shaped by the Hebrew scriptures. This is enormous for the advance of the gospel. It's no accident that when, when the Apostle Paul went to a new city, the first thing he looked for was a synagogue because, because there he would find people whose worldview was shaped by the world of God, people who knew that God's blessing to Israel meant blessing for the nations, and that's always where he started whenever he could. The second thing that happened is because Israel was in exile, it was inevitable that they would interact with other cultures. And one of the things that happened out of that interaction was a translation of the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek language. The Greek language was the trade language. Almost everybody in the known world spoke it by Jesus' time. And having this translation was huge for the advance of the gospel in the time of the apostles. We also see God's purpose in Israel's return from the exile. So think back through the Old Testament. Do you remember what happened when the tabernacle was completed? Remember it was filled with glory, right? And when Solomon's temple was completed, it also was filled with glory. But after the exile, as Israel returned and they laid the foundation of the temple, they, they built the temple, where was the glory? They're, they're waiting for the cloud to fill and it doesn't happen. 
And God says through the prophet Haggai that he says, I will fill this house with glory and it'll be a greater glory. Centuries they wait. What happens? This happened when Jesus, the Son of God, appeared in the temple teaching and healing and announcing the time is fulfilled. It's amazing. And the gathering from the nations that, that Jeremiah talks about, that's more than simply Jewish people returning to Palestine. This, this includes the gathering of the nations in which you and I are involved through the gospel. That we're, we're a part of this. We have, we have been gathered to, to faith. We congregate together now, but we're also sent among the nations to be a part of a larger gathering, a, a, a multitude that no one can count from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And so what we see is that God was up to something good in the midst of Israel's exile, even though that was difficult and hard and painful and, and a lot was, was bad in that. And he's up to something good even in this pandemic. We have to rely on his word, and that means spending time with his word and in communion with him every day and trust that he's carrying out a larger good purpose even if we don't see it. And we seek to be faithful to him day by day. Now centuries later, Jesus asked his disciples a question. He said, who do people say that I am? And he was going to ask them after this, who do you say that I am? Because that's our, our eternal destiny's hinge on our answer to that question, right? But first he said, who do people say that I am? And they had several answers. But one of them, interestingly, was Jeremiah. That is, Jesus reminded people of Jeremiah so much that they identified Jesus as a new Jeremiah. Was it opposition and persecution? Was it maybe results that might not look satisfying to human eyes? We don't know why they thought that, but I find that fascinating. I think one thing is that it tells us is that Jesus understands very well every challenge we face. He, he himself has blazed a trail for us on a long and painful journey that ends at his throne with joy. And you and I can trust him with the twists and turns in that journey with the difficult, long, painful circumstances. I'll say again what I said last week. There is a future ahead of us that is so glorious and so satisfying that it will be worth all of the setbacks and disappointments and sorrows that we experience now. And perhaps you're listening today and your heart hungers for shalom, your heart hungers for peace from God, for a sense of completeness. Real peace with God is found in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again to offer us forgiveness and freedom, fullness of life in Him. If you have questions about what it means to know Jesus, please reach out to our church office. We'll be happy to help you walk through what it means to know Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for our time together in your word. Do please bless uh, all that's been true and right and good and worth holding on to. We pray you'll seal into our hearts and the rest. We pray we'll just uh, be, be blown away. We commit this to you. We ask you to help us to trust you and your larger purposes. Because around us, everything our eyes tell us is that there is no hope. But we have hope in you because of who you are. Help us cling to you. Help us be seekers of shalom, agents of shalom to pray faithfully for the, the neighbors, the context, the districts, the cities, wherever we are. And to be faithful with what you said before us each day. We pray you'll help us identify and tune out the false messages that bombard us and help us cling to you, your truth, and rely on your word day by day. 
We do love you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for hope in Jesus. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.